Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church this morning. Let's begin by entering to prayer together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you, Father, that he did shed our, his blood for us on the cross and that you raised him from the dead. And whoever believes in Jesus Christ as the Savior, the one who died and rose again, will never perish but have eternal life. Father, today we also want to thank you for your kindness, your fatherly care. We thank you, Father, for providing us your word in written form. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. Father, this morning we pray for all the saints and in particular those who are in greatest need. Father, this morning we'd like to pray for the, the church, the Christians in uh, the country of Afghanistan, Father, that you would uh, put your protection over them. And uh, we also pray, Father, for persecuted Christians in countries all over this world. And we ask this morning, Father, that you would have the Holy Spirit mentor and teach every one of us so that we all receive the message and the particular message that you have given in this message this morning for each one of us. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. I just a little while ago took a look at the uh, forecasted track for that uh, Hurricane Henri. 
And uh, as near as I can tell, the eye of that storm is going to go right over our old house that we lived in in Rhode Island. So I sure am glad we came on down here to Florida to escape all those tropical storms and hurricanes. All right. So um, speaking of tropical storms and hurricanes and disasters and so forth, um, still looks like I know that uh, the Delta virus is still... um, very much in evidence here in South Florida. Hospitalizations are up. Um, So again, as a precaution, um, we will be not gathering in person uh, for the next week. We will again be on Skype for Thursday and Sunday. We're going to again assess the situation next weekend and then let you know our plans. Hopefully we'll be letting you know that after this, we will be able to gather in person and pray for that. All right, let's begin the message this morning. We are going to start this morning In the Gospel of John, chapter 6, starting in verse 41, the title of today's message, Facing Unbelief, Facing Unbelief, which is what our Lord faced in in the discourse that he was giving in Capernaum um, in chapter 6, particularly in verses 28 forward. So again, please turn in your Bibles to John, chapter 6, starting in verse 41, and we will begin. Therefore, the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They were saying, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, let me just say a a, a little bit um, about the passage as a whole before we get to today's message, which is a little different from what um, we've had for the last couple of months. You'll see why. We probably already see why in the title. Um, But I want to just go back to verse 41. I want to point a few things out before we get started with the message proper. When it says in verse 41, therefore, the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. This is probably a point at which the the the, uh, con- the the what Jesus was speaking and who he was speaking to. Up till now, he was speaking to a crowd that had gathered, and 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 by studying this passage, it's pretty clear that what happens in verse forty-one is that he then moves inside to the synagogue at Capernaum. In any event, notice in verse forty-two: Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? They're saying, basically saying, we, we already know about you. 
We knew you when. We know your whole past. Don't be telling us this. Jesus answered, said to them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. We saw this passage last week. And and what we're going to see here today is the fact that it's the father and the son together that accomplish salvation. He's saying no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. There's the father and the son working together in in the act of salvation. Verse 45, it is written in the prophets. This is Isaiah chapter 54. It is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught of God. This passage in verse 45 from Isaiah 54 is pointing forward to the kingdom. When all will be taught of God, when the when the, when the Israelites are, are rescued and brought into the kingdom, it's centered in Jerusalem, and every one of them will have the word and the laws of God written on their heart. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Very important. What he's saying here is that, listen, the Father has to draw somebody or else no one would ever believe. But also... Everyone who hears and learns from the Father. In other words, the Father teaches. The way that he draws people to Christ is through the teaching, through through the word of God. The word of God in the Old Testament. The word of God preached by the apostles and Jesus. This is this is now notice that everyone is taught, but not everyone will hear and learn. And there you have the difference. You see, everyone is taught of God. Romans chapter 10 talks about the fact that everyone is heard in one way or another, even if the the Lord has to use the stars, all right? They all be taught. Everyone who's heard and learned from the Father believes, comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. In other words, the, the way in which the Father teaches is through the Son. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And the Father teaches through the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. There's that truly, truly. Once again, he's emphasizing. We're going to see that he says this over and over again. We're going to see why. We're going to see as we move forward that he gets more and more intense and urgent. And the language is more and more striking and vivid as he goes along. We're going to see why. Again, 47, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. You can't get more simple than that message. He who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. In other words, the bread that now comes down out of heaven, Jesus, is infinitely superior even to the manna from heaven that the Jews in the wilderness ate to stay alive. Verse 50. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Uh, Now here when he says eats of this bread once again, that is a metaphor for for believing in Christ. And he, and he for, the, for the first time, at the end of verse 51, he opens up the subject, although they may not have seen it, of his death on the cross. The bread also, which I will give for the life of the world, he will give his flesh. He will die 
for the life of the world. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This bread gives life to the world. He's going to die for the life of the world. In our passage and and throughout this discourse, Jesus kept giving the people in his audience the most incredible, joyful, unrelenting, good news. Again and again, it's the same basic message that comes forth from his lips. It's simple and yet it's profound. Please go back to verse 27. What we're going to do is we're going to walk through where we've been and we're going to notice how many times Jesus tells them this amazing, incredible message, the, the good news. Basically, we've seen it this morning. Believe in Christ and you will have eternal life. Please turn to verse 27. Go back to verse 27. The Son of Man will give you the food which endures to eternal life. There's the message. The Son of Man will give you the food which endures to eternal life. Simple. Look at verse 29. All you need to do is believe in him. There, there it is in verse 27 and verse 29. There's the simple, joyful, incredible good news. Simply believe in Christ, the Savior, and, and that will, you will receive the food which endures to eternal life. You will have a life that you will never die. They thought about life in, in the wilderness and physical life, and they did die. Jesus is offering eternal life, the life from God. And those people will never die. Oh, they will They will die physically. But that won't be the end because they will pass through that to the ultimate life. Look at verse 32 and 33. He says, my father gives you the true bread out of heaven. That's Christ. And then the bread that he will give gives life to the world. There's that simple message again. Life to the world, eternal life. Believe in him. Look at verse 35. I am the bread of life. The bread of life is a person. Notice it's the bread of life. And he is that. He is the gift itself. He who comes to me will never hunger. Again, that come to me means believe in him. We saw that last week. He who comes to me will never hunger, never hunger. See, that's the most incredible, joyful, unrelenting. He's unrelenting in this message. He gives it over and over and over again. He who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. And of course, he's talking about spiritual matters. He's talking about the, the most desperate thirst of all, which is, which, is, which, is, which is to be dead in our trespasses and sins. And so he's saying, you believe in me, you will never have that thirst again. Look at verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Nothing will ever come between the believer and the love of God in Christ Jesus. Anybody who comes to him, anyone who believes in him, he will not cast out ever, ever, ever. And this, this is the promise that your salvation is completely secure. The moment you come to Christ, believe in him, he, will, he holds you forever. He was, you will never be cast out. No matter what you did, no matter what you do, he will hold on to you 
The Father will too. Look at verse 39 to 40. Amazing good news. The Father's will. So now we have Jesus saying himself, I'm never going to cast you out. And then we find that it's the Father also. It's his will that Jesus will lose nothing that the Father gives to him. Remember, the Father gives the gift of believers. The people that he gives are the people who believe in Christ. And Jesus will lose none of those people. And then in verse, everyone, look at verse 40. Everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him. Notice how many times we've seen this simple message, believe for eternal life, life to the world, never hunger, never thirst. You come to me, I will certainly not cast you out. The Father's will is that I lose nothing, Jesus says, that the Father gives to me. Everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, promise, and he will raise him up on the last day. Again, this is remarkable news. It's joyful. It's incredible. You can't even imagine this if it hadn't been revealed to you by by God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then look at verse 44. Everyone, notice there's no exceptions. Notice that it's ironclad. Notice that nothing will ever get in the way of you being brought to eternal life, being raised from the dead with Christ at some point in the future. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father will come to me, promise. And then look at verse 47. You can rest assured, he, that truly, truly, you can rest assured that he who believes has eternal life. Wow. I mean, isn't this, this is the same message over and over again. Food which endures to eternal life. Believe in him. This bread gives life to the world. Jesus is this bread. If you believe in him, you'll never hunger, never thirst. All, all that the Father gives to Jesus, every believer, he will never cast them out no matter what. The Father's will backs this up, that Jesus will lose nothing that the Father gives to him, eternally secure. Everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. There it is. And I will raise him up on the last day. He who believes has eternal life. And then look at verse 51. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. Eat and you will live forever. Now, as you as I was reading through this and preparing for this morning, the thing that's striking is that Jesus is repeating himself a lot, a lot. You know, when you when you uh, hear these words, when, when you when you read them, when you study them, there's a point at which you're saying, you know, what? I got it. <laughs> I got this message. So you got to ask the question, why? Does he keep repeating himself over and over? And here's the answer. He repeats himself over and over because his words are rejected over and over. And and by the way, one of the things we're going to look at is the fact that um, we face the same issue, this same negativity that the Lord faced. The servant is not greater than the master. If they rejected him, they'll reject us. And we see it here in chapter six so clearly that he'll preach the good news and they'll reject it. He'll come around again with a little more intensity and they reject it again. He amps up 
the language, and they reject it. That's why he's repeating himself over and over. It's not simply that he wants people to, to you know, hear the message. It's also because he's fighting that unbelief, that rejection that is that is that is that he sees coming from his audience. I want to use an analogy. I want you to think about a submarine that's disabled. And I want you to think about divers coming on down. They're wondering, is anybody alive? What are we going to find when we get there? They get there and they're banging over and over again on the hull of this disabled submarine. They're listening intently for any sign of life. You see, that's what Jesus is doing as he repeats. He's banging over and over again, you know, because he wants people to believe the good news and have eternal life. And yet, what do we see? You see this. It's an unnatural, unrelenting hostility toward everything that Jesus says. Now, the reason why it's unnatural is that it's full of good news. And, 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 and when you notice the, the number of ways, and we're going to see this in a minute, that he gets rejected, it doesn't make any sense. There's this hostility that cannot be explained toward everything that Jesus says. Let's take a look at that now. We've looked at the number of times that Jesus gives this amazing good news. Now let's look at the response, the reaction. Go back to verse 30. He tells them that all they have to do is believe. And now they come back and they say, what are you going to do for a sign? Give me a sign. That's that's a rejection. Look at verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. In other words, can you beat that? We don't we, we think that Moses is much greater than you. you know, they, 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 they're totally rejecting the message. They're not even beginning to listen to what he's really saying about who he is, about what he's come to give, about the spiritual reality that's here, the heavenly reality. He's not they're not listening to that. They don't believe he came down from heaven. They don't believe that the Father has given this amazing gift. Instead, they want to focus on their own history. And they want to say, look, you know who we are. You know, we've already received bread from heaven. There's nothing you can give us. Look at verse 36. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. There it is again, more evidence that they're but they're not believing. They're hostile to the message. Look at verse 41 where we started today. The Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. Now anyone with an open heart understanding that he's, he's already told us that this bread is for the life of the world and whoever eats this bread will never hunger again. Whoever, whoever uh, believes in him will never thirst. So if they had been listening with an open heart, they would already be so excited about this. And then they would be excited about the fact that it's Jesus. And he is the one who comes down out of heaven. He's right here before us. It's amazing. But why were they grumbling about him? You see, rather than rejoicing about an amazing, blessed message, what do they do? They fixate on something that's bothering them. Is this not Jesus, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven, verse 42? And we're going to, the thing that I want you also to be thinking about as we go through this 
um, to, to the extent that it kind of the, the spirit brings it out for you is that we face the same thing. We preach the good news, and yet somebody wants to obsess about something else. They want to change the subject. They want to, they want to put us down. It's the same thing that we face today. They fixate on something that bothers them, and also something that's really going to, they think is a put-down of the one who is speaking. Well, this same stubborn unbelief is going to continue to rear its ugly head as we go forward in the next few weeks. We're going to see it in verse 52, where they're arguing and they're saying, he's already said that, you know, eat my flesh. And they're saying, how can he do this? See, they don't, they're only focused on the physical and they're only focusing on a way to reject the message. It's going to happen in 60, where they're going to say, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to this? And then we see in verse 66 that many of the disciples said, forget it. We're done. We're not going to walk with him anymore. So again and again, Jesus faces this unrelenting hostility to his message. But you know what shocked me this week when I looked for it? I started to think about it, and I said, here we have this most remarkable discourse that Jesus gives these people. But you know something? I could not find any indication, not one, that anyone in that audience believed in him after hearing it. That's shocking. That's indication. I mean, let this sink in for a minute. Not one in that audience. There's no indication anyway in what John has recorded here that any of them believed in him after hearing this amazing message over and over and over again. You know, so often we write this off. You know, we'll say, for example, maybe we'll say, well, that's just the blindness of the Jews or Well, that's because they were selfish and greedy and they're motivated by fleshly desires. All that's true in its own measure, but all that is not enough to adequately explain what we have here. Later on, Jesus will tell the disciples that they hate him without a cause. Not the disciples, the Jews. They hate him, but notice, without a cause. So we can go and try to find the causes But at the end of it all, Jesus says, you don't understand. They hated me without a cause. They hated me before. They hated me during. They hated me now. They're going to hate me so much that they're going to turn me over to the Romans. And they're going to ask that I be crucified. That's not natural. Especially coming from people who said, here's our king. And then for no explanation, they just turn on him viciously. There's something else here beyond any kind of explanation regarding the people and their situations. In chapter 8, and we won't go there now, but Jesus will tell these Jews in Jerusalem, the ones who were already seeking to kill him, that they are of their father, the devil, the murderer and the father of lies. That's what Jesus is dealing with, even here in chapter 6. It's unexplainable other than the fact that there are people who are who have the devil as their father, who is a murderer and the father of lies. So that, that there will be unrelenting hostility towards Jesus by those such people. And yet, think about the banging on that submarine. Jesus is not giving in. He's not conceding. He's, he's not willing, as the scripture says, that any should perish. The father didn't give the son 
to judge the world, but to save the world. And so he, this is why he keeps repeating. He keeps, he keeps extending out the message, the grace. This is throughout his ministry. In other words, that banging on the submarine continues. Believe in me. He who believes in me has eternal life. I am the bread of life. I will raise whoever believes in me up on the last day again, again, and again. He's banging, he's banging, he's banging on this message. So he's facing the stiffness of unbelief. He continues. And, and as I say, his, his language is going to get more, as it were, outrageous. He's going to, at some point, he's going to realize that they're not listening at all to what I'm saying. So I've got to, I got to shock them some more. I'm going to talk about the fact that my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Maybe that will wake them up. He won't. He will. He will not concede the point. And so it is, or should be, with us. When we preach the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of our salvation, the word of the cross the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the salvation of the world. When we preach that message, that good news of Christ, guess what? Same thing for us as was for Jesus. We meet with unnatural resistance. You look at it and you say, why are these people closing down? This message that we have that we're preaching, listen to it. It's too good to be true. We're all born sinners and there's nothing we can do about it. But God came and he gave his one and only son to die for us, who does that? Perhaps for the good man, somebody who died, but while we were enemies and lost and dead in our trespasses and sins, the Son of God died for us. This message is too good to be true. Your sins forgiven, life eternal. How can they possibly reject it? Did you ever have that experience? I'm sure you did if you've ever preached the gospel to somebody. And they reject you at a certain point. You just can't believe it. You just say, look, I don't know how many ways or times I have to tell you. Listen to this. Banging on the submarine hull. And yet nothing. Nothing. Often it's like talking to a wall. Right. And again, this is unnatural. You talk about any other subject with these people. You never get this reaction. You could talk about Buddha and you won't get that reaction. You, you can talk politics. Well, maybe politics these days is another story. But, but as soon as you preach the good, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, so often we meet with unnatural resistance. And yet, like Jesus, we must not waver either. You want to know why? Because this message is too vital, too important. There's nothing more important than to hear the gospel and believe it. It gives glory to the God. That's the first reason, by the way. First reason that we should be preaching the gospel is to give glory to God. But but in addition to that, we're bringing life. Not We're not giving life, but we're bringing the message that leads to life. And so it's a vital message. It's important what we're doing when we preach the gospel. Never forget it. I'll tell you somebody who never forgot it. Most, most Christians, I'm sure many of you, have heard about the book, the Pilgrim's Promise. Many have read it. And most know that a man by the name of John Bunyan wrote it. But this morning, I would like to turn our attention to another book that John Bunyan wrote. It was his autobiography, 
It was his spiritual autobiography. And he gave it this title, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. I want to tell you a few things about this book and about you. If you've ever been to a place where you thought that you were too evil to be saved, well, you ought to read this book. If you ever wondered that, you, if, that perhaps you committed the unpardonable sin, if you ever thought that maybe you weren't chosen by God, if you ever thought that you had once been saved but now are lost again, read this book. If you want to see how, how the good news takes someone from the agony of the fear of hell to the ecstasy of the joys of heaven, check out this book. It was written 400 years ago, and yet it speaks to our heart today because it never changes. And he, oh, he's steeped in the word of God. And he brings up a lot of the things that, if we're honest, have, have been disturbing to us at some point in the past. Matter of fact, I'm going to read a little bit of it today from chapter 8. Notice the title of chapter 8, by the way, first of all. Agonizing over the severity of his sin. Now, he, he, he was a Puritan, and they, they used to major in agonizing over the severity of his sin. And I'm not saying we should. We shouldn't. But it's, but it's a fact of human life that at certain points, anybody who is hearing the gospel and anybody who is serious about understanding who you are, you're going to realize, as, as Paul did, I'm a wretched person. There's something in my in the in the body in my body that is evil, and no matter what I do, I can't get rid of it, and it's agony. I want I want you to listen to just how agony agonizing it became for John Bunyan. I'm just going to read a little bit, and I'm going to just give you a couple of the headlines as I read. The first one that he says this is in chapter eight, agonizing over the severity of his sin. He wrote this. Thus I went on for many weeks, sometimes comforted, sometimes tormented. Have you ever been there where there's just, for whatever reason, you're having this, 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 this concern, this heartbreak, this anxiety about often what, what from the word of God we, we turn into an attack against ourselves, where we're saying, how could I possibly be somebody that God would save? Agony. Sometimes comforted. Have you ever done that? Have you ever looked at one scripture and be comforted by it? But then to your memory, another scripture comes in and not not really not at all as it's intended by the Lord. You see, there's another force at work. There's something greater here than just what can be explained naturally. Thus I went on for many weeks, sometimes comforted and sometimes tormented. And especially at some times, my torment would be very sore, very severe. And he says, this is why for all those scriptures, he had already mentioned them in the book of Hebrews. Now, those of you that were with us when we in our Thursday Bible study studied the topic of eternal security, you may remember that some of the most the scriptures that are used most often to deny eternal security happen to be in the book of Hebrews. And, and, and John Bunyan was well aware of that. He had he would wrestled over that. He agonized over these passages over and over again, like. I'll just mention it to you. You can check it. Hebrews chapter six, where he talks about at some point, it's impossible to renew them again unto repentance. Those are scary words. Or in chapter 10, he talks about there's no more sacrifice for sin. 
And in chapter 12, it's Esau who sold his birthright and couldn't find place for repentance. You see, these are these are these are troubling words. And and so he's saying what was going on? He said these scriptures would be set before me as the only sentences that would keep me out of heaven. And and there's there's if you've ever had the experience, there's this there's this thing at work at times, which which no matter where we go to get a place of comfort from the scriptures, there's this, as it were, voice that says, yeah, but what about that? What about you? What about this other passage? You see, and that's that is don't think that that's just you ruminating over the word of God. There's somebody who doesn't want you to be comforted by the word of God. There's somebody that wants you to always be in a panic, always fearful always disturbed and that person is the enemy of god and john bunyan experienced that and yet as we continue in chapter eight we get to this point he says this scripture did all also most sweetly visit my soul you ever have that happen when you're in the middle of some agonizing situation of spiritual battle that you're in and then all of a sudden this one scripture provided by the Holy Spirit and you're studying or just because you know the scripture, just then that comes in and it sweetly visits your soul. It's what you needed. It, it's that message of, of hope of the word of God, the water of the word that quenches that thirst. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes to, from the mouth of God. And then he goes on. He says, this scripture also, now he's talking about a particular scripture and you're going to see what it is right now. This scripture did also most sweetly visit my soul and him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. We just read that this morning. Notice where it is. John chapter six, verse 37. That's the scripture that came most sweetly to visit his soul. When he was in the in the, in the midst of this agonizing struggle, and then he goes on. Oh, the comfort I had from this word! You see how important it is that Jesus Christ kept at it, kept sending this message in different ways. Here, of course, he's talking about eternal security. That once you believe in Him, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. Or any other created thing can never come between you and the love of God in Christ Jesus. And him that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. And he says, oh, the comfort I had from this word in no wise, in no wise. And of course, you know, in the modern translation, he says, I will certainly not cast out the same thing. I will certainly not in no wise comfort. As who should say by no means for nothing, whatever he had done. You see, he's he's saying, you know what this means now? It means there's no way, no matter what I did, since I came to him, since I believed in him, he's never going to cast me out. Other people may. Isaiah says, you know what? My own mother may, may disown me, but he never will. See, the comfort from that. And it's great comfort. Then he goes on. But Satan would greatly labor to pull this promise from me. See, that's what he wants to do. Now, I'm not saying that every time we're in this situation, it's Satan himself. It could very well have been for John Bunyan. I don't know. Um, that was what he was experiencing at the time. It probably was a demon 
You know, we get doctrines of demons that are projected at us, lies, murderous thoughts, and so forth. Satan would greatly labor to pull this promise from me. Notice that that will happen in your life. You'll, you'll rest. I've seen this so many times with our precious people. They'll, we'll, we'll have a message, teach a message, and it's a message of comfort, eternal security, what have you, grace in Christ. And then what happens is as they as they go out in their daily lives, they find this pulling away. Something or somebody wants to steal your rest, steal your joy, pull this promise from me, telling of me that Christ did not mean me and such as I, but sinners of a lower rank that has had not as I had done. In other words, there's some people have no idea what I've done. I've done things that are so horrible that, yeah, maybe he, he means he will not cast out most, but how I am the worst. And he won't. He maybe he will. Now he's he's not saying that of his own accord. You know, these things are projected. These are messages that Satan wants to get into our heart. You know, sometimes he'll, he'll use the tongues of people to do it. Often he will. Um, there are a lot of killjoys out there. There are a lot of even Christians. But if you start talking about eternal security, you'll get all kinds of yeah buts. Yeah, but what about this passage in Matthew? Yeah, but what about this passage in Hebrews? You know, think of Job's wife, right? She said, curse God and die. You know, there are people out there that are going to bring that message to us. Guess who they're motivated by? You see, those are the flaming darts. But what 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 prevents them from attacking our soul? The shield of faith. He goes on. But I would answer again. Say, and there is in these words no such exception. In other words, he's saying, listen, the scripture, John 6, 37 says, all, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. He's saying there's no exception there. There's no footnote. But him that comes, him, any him, any person, him that comes unto me I will no wise cast out. And this I will remember, I well remember still, John writes, John Bunyan, not the gospel writer, that of all the slights that Satan used to take this scripture from me, Yet he never did so much as put this question, but do you come aright? And and by the way, that is the message that you get all the time now from people preaching the gospel incorrectly. That somehow or other, you have to come in a right manner to Christ in order to be saved. Maybe that means that you have to clean up your act. Maybe that means that you have to make him Lord of your life. Maybe that that means you have to repent of all your sins. See, the reason why that's, but you know, I go to attack that doctrine a lot, Lordship Salvation. And the reason is, is that these messages rob people of their certainty. They rob people. There's people that if you listen to that nonsense, you'll start to wonder, maybe I'm not saved. Guess who wants you to wonder that? It's the kingdom of darkness that wants you to wonder that. Why? Because you won't be going forward. You won't be having the joy that we're supposed to have. You won't be giving glory to God. You won't be praising God. That's what they want to prevent. So he said, and yet Satan did not even ask the question, but do you come right? And I have thought the reason was because he thought I knew full well what coming aright was. For I saw that to come aright was to come as I was. Never forget that. There's no conditions on you believing in Christ before you can. 
you come just the way you are. You said, I'm a vile and ungodly sinner. Those words are right from the book of Romans, by the way. Vile and ungodly sinner. And I cast myself at the feet of mercy, condemning myself for sin. In other words, I'm a sinner. And then he goes on. If ever Satan and I did strive for any good word of God in my life, it was for this good word of Christ. John 6, 37. I'm so grateful and Jesus didn't stop that he that he sent this message over and over again. He sent it in so many ways. I will raise them up on the last day. You have eternal life. And was for this good word of Christ. And he's talking about a struggle. He pictures it at Satan at one end, like a tug of war and I at the other. Oh, what work we made. It was for this in John, the gospel of John. I say that we did so tug and strive. In other words, there was a battle. There was a proving out of this one scripture. That's how vital the word of God is. That's how vital one scripture, one utterance from the mouth of Jesus Christ. And he's saying this was the battle. This was the place of battle. I say we did so tug and strive. He pulled and I pulled, but God be praised. I overcame him. I got sweetness from it. Now, of course, he didn't overcome anything. You see, the, it's the spirit that wars on our behalf. In any event, he got sweetness that never ended from this scripture. John 6, 37. You see, see, that's the issue in preaching the gospel. Will a soul despair finally or rise in boundless praise? What does the enemy want? A soul in despair permanently. What does the Lord want? A soul that rises in boundless praise. Why? Because they they believe the amazing, astounding good news. Believe in Christ and you will never die. You will have eternal life. That's what is at stake in this struggle that we see Jesus engaged in in chapter 6 against that unbelief, that unnatural unbelief, that hatred that resistance, that's the struggle that we face if if we're honest with ourselves all the time. Why? Because unbelief is real and we are faced with it ourselves all the time. All the time. I've heard so many stories from people that talk about this. I have stories in my own life. There are people that I have preached good news to. I remember a person a long time ago. And uh, I, I preached the gospel. And finally, I said to him this. I says, you know, I know you don't believe this is true. But can't you at least say, you know what? If this were true, it would be wonderful. You know, and yet there's nothing. No response. It's sad. It's heartbreaking. But unbelief is a power. It's a power that can really only be overcome by the spirit and the word. You need to understand that that's why nobody of their own accord just wakes up one day and says, you know what? I'm going to become a Christian. That doesn't happen. There's a struggle. There, there's the Holy Spirit conviction. There's there's understanding that there's two forces at work when it comes to preaching the gospel. And we've all experienced that. We may not have named it, but we've all experienced it. We face it all the time. So what should we do about that? Well, I think one thing we should do is we should study the tactics of the enemy. And here I'm talking about unbelief is the enemy. Of course, behind that is, is the kingdom of darkness, is the demons and the 
principalities and powers and they manifest themselves and how, how how this world works and in our flesh. But I'm talking today specifically about unbelief. How does unbelief go at it? What are the tactics that are involved? And then, but even more than that, we ha- we'll take a look at that. But ultimately, what we need to do is master how our Lord overcame the tactics of unbelief, overcame them. And by the way, we won't overcome them ourselves. But there is something we can do. And it's, it's the, same, the, same, the same thing that Jesus at this point does. You see, at the end of the day, again, it's the word of God. And that's alive and powerful. It's the message of the cross. Those are being those who are being saved. It is the power of God for salvation. That's where the power is, the word of God and the spirit. But we but we have a role to play in, in the interaction with people when we have this message to deliver. OK, so let's take a look in closing today. We're going to go back over the same ground we've already gone over this morning in John. But this time with with the thinking that I'm going to I want to observe and and go to school on the particular tactics that unbelief uses to try to prevent a person from believing in Christ. Let's begin in John chapter six, verse 28. John chapter six, verse 28. Therefore, they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God, religion? What must we do? What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Everybody is looking. Unbelief is always trying to make the issue about what somebody does. Unbelief. See, the real issue here is that unbelief always makes it about the merits of people. Loves that. Why? Because you'll never, you'll never, you know, there will always be something to criticize when it comes to your merit or my merit or anybody's merit or an unbeliever's merit. You see, if you get, if you get them on that ground, you got them because they, well, did you repent of all your sins? Well, what about this thing you did a long time ago? Well, what about the fact that you, you know, haven't straightened out your life? What about the fact that you say you're a good person, but look how you treated it? See, as long as it's about the merits of people, what shall we do? We're lost. The only thing that this is about really is the grace of God. And that, now that should tell us something. I'm going to face this distraction, this, this uh, unbelief, this block in the form of people trying to merit salvation. What's what's the response? We hold firm to the gospel of grace, the grace of God. Look at verse 29. Let's see how Jesus handled it. John 6, 29. So they just said, what shall we do? That we may work the works of God. It's all about them. And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. You see, he, he gets right back where this has to be, which is believing in the one who sent Jesus, God. And again, remember when we talk about believing in the one 
whom Jesus, who's, whom, who, who, who he has sent, it's talking about Jesus is the one that the Father has sent. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. In other words, it's not your merit. That will never work. It's God's grace in giving you and then giving you Jesus, the bread of life, and then believing in him, focuses on him. We do the same thing. Somebody wants to turn it around. Maybe they want to turn it around to say, well, what about you? You know, you've made a lot of mistakes. Or, what? you know, I, I, I think the reason why I ought to be saved is because I'm a, I'm a great humanitarian. Man, I'll tell you what. When I see when I see an old lady crossing the street, I grab her by the arm and I walk her across. You see, that's why God should save me. No, the grace of God. Believe in him who he has sent. Jesus, in other words, addresses the real issue. That's what we need to do. Keep it focused on the real issue, faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. You know, people who want to, and I spent years, people that want to understand where the unbeliever is coming from. That's the wrong approach. That's you won't get there. Okay, because you're on their turf. See all now all of a sudden they're saying, yeah, see, I'm a I'm a Muslim. And see, so um let's talk about let's talk about the differences between Islam and Christianity. We'll see what's that? That's saying, well, I'm gonna figure this out, right? No, that's not the issue. The issue is faith in Christ. Go there. It's so simple, but it's so difficult because we're human beings too. You see, it's easy for us to be distracted ourselves. It's easy for us to fall into things ourselves. That's why we have to be disciplined in preaching the word of God. Look at John chapter 6, verse 30, preaching the gospel in particular. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual forces of wickedness. What's the only thing that can that can stand up to the spiritual forces of wickedness? Not your intellect, not your knowledge of other religions. One thing, the word of God, the word of God, the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at John chapter six, verse 30. So they said to him, what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. How blind can you be, of course, that, yeah, God gave them the manna for the food from heaven. And what happened? Well, they continued to grumble. They didn't they didn't trust the Lord. So I don't know why they use that as an example. But what's the point here? What does unbelief do? Unbelief is always asking for another sign. Show me another sign. Show me how God, have God work in my life right now, and then maybe I'll believe. It's a distraction. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not see this miracle and then believe. No, it's hear the good news and believe in it. Now, how does Jesus respond to this demand for a sign? Look at John 6, 32. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven. In other words, he's dismissing. He's saying, I'm not going to talk about Moses, and I'm going to talk about one thing. It's my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. Again, right back, the, put the focus back where it belongs. 
on the Father, on the gift of the Father, on the true bread out of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you grace, the true bread out of heaven, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. For the bread of of God is that which comes out of heaven and gives life to the world. Can you see he's right back to the simple message? He's the bread of life. It comes down out of heaven. It's a gift of God. It gives life to the world. The person of Christ, the Father's gift, life. So in other words, once again, they want to pull in one direction, looking for a sign. Jesus pulls it right back, right back. Hold your ground. That's what we ought to do with the message, the simplicity of it. We're going to be so tempted to try to you know, expand on it and expound on it and trying to give a give and take. And he says this and he'll say that. Nonsense. Get right back to the issue. Here, he gets right back to his father. They want to talk about Moses. They want to talk about another sign. He gets right back to the issue. My father is giving you the true bread that gives life to the world. That's the only issue here. Now, verse 34, let's take a look at this next, because this one is quite interesting. I mean, on the surface, it kind of looks like they're giving in and they're saying, well, yeah, you know, there's something there. Notice John 6, 34. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Notice that word always. You see, they're not listening. It sounds good, but they're not listening. In other words, they totally, they're still misunderstood. They don't understand this on the level, the spiritual level. They're looking about literal bread. You see, and that's what happened. This is the danger, by the way, of thinking that you evangelize people by first taking care of all their physical needs. There's nothing wrong with that. People need things. You know, evangelists and, and, and missionaries that go to foreign countries face the most appalling human misery and suffering at times. There's nothing wrong with that. But never make that the springboard, the issue. Never say meeting their needs is the way I'm going to get them to come to Christ. No, it's not. No, it's not. That's a misunderstanding. But the one thing here that is a little different is that Jesus senses an opening. There's a sliver of an opening here, and he takes it. But again, how does he take it? By now, you should know. Right back to the issue. Notice verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. You're thinking about filling up your bellies. Let's get back to the real issue. I am the bread of life. I have come down out of heaven. I bring life. It is the grace of God. It is a gift. You believe in me. You have eternal life, not just living from day to day, but a life that never, ever, ever ends. That's the issue. Look again at John 6, 35. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger Right back to the simplicity. He who believes in me will never thirst, never thirst, never die, eternal life. One, one time you believe in him and you have eternal life. That's what he's saying. So they wanted to say, always give us this bread. Apparently this is something we got to eat over and over again. And Jesus says, no, you just believe in me and you'll never thirst. Come to me. And that's a one shot deal. You come to him, you believe in him. You'll never hunger on the spiritual realm now. You'll never thirst. Verse 36. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. In other words, he's also making the issue, not how you're thinking, not how you're saying. It's I know in your heart you still don't believe. Verse 37. 
this is the verse. Remember, this is the verse that, that changed Bunyan's whole situation, right? All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. That's the message. He's right back to it. The Father is gives the believer to Christ. He will never cast that person out, eternally secure. Great, amazing good news. Verse 38, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, right back to the Father, but the will of him who sent me. Can you see the reason why Jesus has to repeat is that is that they're pulling in the other direction. They always want to get the subject off the simplicity of the gospel, and he's right back. Why? Because he faces resistance. So will we. That's why it's so important to hold your ground. Keep preaching the good news. Stick with that. That's the issue. We're all born sinners. And Jesus Christ, God gave him. He's God in the flesh, son of God, Jesus. And he died for our sins. That's the message. And he was raised from the dead. And whoever believes in him will never perish, but have eternal life. You know, it's not that it's complicated. The issue is, is will you hold your ground on that? Will you stake everything on the simplicity of that message? And that's what Jesus does. 39, this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, eternal security, but raise it up on the last day, life. But this is the will of my father, repeats himself, that everyone who beholds the son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. They want to talk about their religion. Get back to the gospel. Hey, listen, we're all born in sin. Jesus Christ is God's son, and he died on the cross for your sins. That's the only thing that I'm here to talk about today. See, that's 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 why it's that it's that perseverance, that holding on, holding on for dear life with the one message that matters, the gospel. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up. From the last day, believing in Christ for eternal life, the one who comes to Christ will certainly not be cast out. Simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But of course, the battle ensues. Look at verse 41. Therefore, the Jews were grumbling about him. I want you to think about this. You see, he's just told them who he is, that he's come to give life. That, I, that you believe in me, I'll never cast you out. You'll have eternal life. I'll raise you up on the last day. But do they want to talk about that? They don't. Look at verse 41. Therefore, the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. See, they're fixated on something, and it's the wrong something right now. We'll see why in a moment. And saying, we're going we're gonna to face the same issue. Well, wait a minute. I think as part of that, you said this. Let's go. I want to talk about that, you know. Never about the message, right? But always a distraction. Why? Because unbelief ignores the good news. Fixate on something that bothers them. Something that bothers them. At this point, it might be, hey, you know, how can how can a loving God cast somebody into hell? You said eternal life. Well, I heard that, that God casts people into hell. See, they're going to fixate on something else their pet peeve how come how come my father how come god let my father die how come this how come that rather than simplicity of the gospel i will raise him up on the last day unbelief ignores the good news fixates on the one thing that bothers them look at john 6 42 moving right along hope you're seeing the pattern here Unbelief is always going to push back and you always stand your ground with the with the truth of the gospel they were saying, here's a, here's a favorite tactic. 
of unbelief. Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? Here's what unbelief does. It gets personal. It puts you down. It makes your background the issue. Yeah, who do you think you are? I, you know, I know who you are. You cheated on your taxes, or I know who you are, and I've seen you at the bar, or whatever it is. They want to make it about you, put you down, you know, make you the issue. Well, I'm not the issue. My background is not the issue. That's why it's 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 tricky, and perhaps, and I would totally not recommend you basing the person believing in Christ on your testimony. Why? Because they can always pick holes in your testimony because you're human. And as a matter of fact, throughout people talking about their testimony or coming to Christ, they're talking about a dead man. <laughs> you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Why would you want to spend all your time on that? No, there's one message, the good news, the gospel. And notice John, John's 43 to 51. I'm not going to read it all, but notice how Jesus replies. Jesus answered and said to them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Mm-mm. He's not going to talk about whose father his father is or his mother is. He's going to get right back to the issue. My father is he instructs you, you. You hear him and believe. And I will raise you up on the last day. Verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. That's the message. He never deviates from it. No matter all the resistance he gets. And then verse 51, he repeats, he sums up, and he he doesn't give an inch. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread... Also, which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh, the cross. Jesus stays the course. He ignores the slights. He ignores the misdirections. He ignores their requests for a sign. He stays the the course, the gospel. Who am I? God set me. You believe. You have eternal life. He states one more time what he's been saying all along. What's the lesson for us? One, don't fall for the distractions. Don't fall. They will. They will come. Unbelief will always want to distract and turn the message, turn the issue away from the message of the gospel. It, related to that, don't let them change the subject. They're going to want to talk about everything but. And if you go there with them, they will lead you down the rabbit hole. Don't chase them down. Stick with the ground, the high ground of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stick to the simplicity of the gospel message. Hold your Ground. One more passage this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 to 24. Never forget where the power comes. It's not in your knowledge. It's not in your personality. It's not in your testimony. It's not in supposed miracles you've seen. Nope, that's not where the power is at all. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. For indeed, Jews ask for signs. We just saw that. And Greeks search for wisdom. In other words, signs aren't going to do it. Wisdom, we think we're going to use some wisdom. We're not smart. I can prove the existence of God and so and so forth. I can show you all the way back. See, there was this guy, Josephus, first century. And, you know, we go on and on on that. That's not the issue. 
They'll, they'll keep you there and they will listen to you and then they will have an objection. And all of a sudden you're over here talking about first century and Greek. and No, we preach. Notice verse 23. We preach Christ crucified. Paul got it right back to the message. We preach Christ crucified. That's what we do too. To the Jews, a stumbling block and to the Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much today for showing us, allowing us to watch as the master shows us how to witness, how to evangelize, shows us what we're going to come up against, shows us how to handle it. Help us to help us to just be in that place of of rest and contentment and sweetness about the message. That's 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 the motivation, giving glory to my father, having a soul turned from despair to hope and praise and then hold your ground. Help us to remember that. Please train us. Help us to to be steeped in the scriptures and the word of God and the truth about the gospel. We ask that in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Bible study this Thursday, August 26, 630 on Skype only. Just want to remind everybody, too, that we're in the book of Isaiah and we are going to we are at a turning point. We've gotten through the first 39 chapters, lots of historical setting there, lots of uh, the issues of the Assyrian Empire and so forth. And now we're gonna, there's, gonna, there's a turn, and it's into the, what I consider the most wonderful part of the book of Isaiah, the second part, chapters 40 through 66, and showing that there will be a exile, but then there will be in the future the kingdom and the Messiah. So looking forward to that. Hope you are too. Please join us if you possibly can. Same place, Skype, 6.30 on this Thursday. Like we can't end today without having the gospel preached. I mean, let the, and again, just focus on the simplicity of it. Why? Because you're going to need to hold your ground. You're going to need. So, so we we always we always train in the simplicity of the message. So hopefully we'll stay there and hold to it when we're in that situation <coughs> where we're facing the resistance and attack of unbelief. There's none righteous, not even one. We're all born dead in our trespasses and sins. But God gave us his son from heaven. Jesus Christ, God's son became man while remaining God. And and he had a mission. He went to the cross to die for the sins of the world. Mine, yours, everybody's. And he was buried. And on the third day, God, you raised him from the dead. God, the father raised his son from the dead, never to die again. He is seated now at the right hand of the father. Whoever believes in Jesus Christ, the savior, the one who died for our sins, was buried and raised from the dead on the third day, will never perish, but have eternal life. Father, thank you for the simplicity of this message. Thank you for what stands behind it, which is the complete work of Christ on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, the power of the spirit, the power of your word. 